0: Hey guys, it's Walter and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode nine. We got my regulars this time. We got the whole crew assembled for the first time in a couple weeks. I have Azil. Hi. And Griff. Hey. And this week we, we're gonna start talking about Mira. You know, we've covered the Skull Knight for three full episodes and talked about Berserk in general, but we haven't actually addressed you know the creator of the series, and I think we could talk quite a bit about him. And also along the way, I think a lot of people may be in the dark on what his background is even before he started Berserk. He had kind of an interesting career path um, from high school to college and then directly into Berserk, and he's kind of stayed level or, or foot in Berserk since then for, for you know 20-plus years now. So, But what did he do before Berserk? So we're going to address some of those things and how he got started with Berserk and kind of his influences as well, or what little we know about him. He's kind of an enigma We'll go ahead and get started with that. Um, I've created a timeline, which I will publish later once we have, have it perfected. It's kind of an it's kind of in a rough form right now. There's really kind of like one doctrine on Miura that comes from I think um, Azil. You know, I think you said it comes from the Berserk Illustrated file, which is an art book.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, illustration file. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, if you look up Kentaro Miura, if you Google him, you'll get basically a set standard pieces of fact and inf- factual information based on him, and it doesn't really. Uh, the dialogue on him doesn't really diverge from that. It stays focused on historic things that happen in his life, but you don't get a lot of you know middle information. You don't get the, the times between these major milestones in his life. You don't know quite very much about. And for some of those other informations, you have to look at other interviews, and those are more scar- more scarce. Just pretty much one interview. A lot of these things pull information from. So that's what we're going to be addressing because we can kind of stand behind those that those facts. Mira, I don't want to go through every single date or anything like that, because there's quite a few, but, I mean, uh, he was born in 1966, which makes him 42? What is that? I can't remember now. He's 45. 45, thanks. Cool. (laughs) And born in Chiba in Japan, uh, started drawing manga when he was quite young.
1: Yeah, he was 7 when he started. Yeah, Yeah. it was in
0: uh, 73. Right, started drawing manga, and he actually made... One of his first, maybe not the very first, but a long-running series for his fan, his classmates called *Muir Ranger*, which was called uh, classified as a space opera, which lasted "quote unquote" forty volumes. Now I don't know how long each of those volumes were, or, or how, how he classified those, but I mean, it sounds like it ran for quite a bit of time while he was in. Is that elementary school or is that middle school at that point? Uh,
1: it's elementary school.
0: Yeah, so he was really young, but he's making it for his his friends at the time, which is kind of cool. Yeah.
1: um, Actually, I'm just, you know, as an aside, he actually uh, moved a lot. His parents moved a lot when he was young. So he he said uh, that, you know, making manga for his classmates was a way for him to make friends. So that's why he drew so much. I mean, he, he always had a, a passion for drawing. He said it started when he was in, a, in preschool, actually. He, that's when he noticed he really wanted to draw. But yeah, d- drawing was a way for him to, to make friends and to make new acquaintances. So, yeah.
0: I did not know that. That's really cool. The, the other title that's published or published, uh, created around the time, is called The Way of the Sword. I don't know much about that other than he began experimenting with different types of ink at the time.
1: I was going to say, yeah, that's when he started drawing with ink and yeah. uh, using, basically, professional techniques, you know, quote-unquote. So that's yeah. when he started getting serious
0: about it, we could right. say. Right. Kind of career-minded at that point. He kind of knew yeah. this is what he wanted to do. Yeah, pretty and much. And with that in mind, in high school, he entered an art program or be- began focusing on the arts, that's I should say. And was published in a fanzine, but uh, it kind of hit the big time uh... right before college. He created Noah and Futatabi. Noah is a sci-fi, and Azil, you can talk a little bit more about it. I've only read through it the one time. I, I don't think I had a translation for it. But <laughs> well, they're
1: both uh, sci-fi. And... Oh, are they? Okay, I forgot. Yeah, Noah M- 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 is pretty you know, interesting sci-fi, and uh... Noah's interesting, more interesting than uh, Futatabi for us because. The main character, he has got a, a cannon in his arm. He's a cyborg. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess, in a way, he's he's a, a prototype of Gus, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a cannon in his arm, which uh, is, uh, you know, reminiscent of Cobra from the, you know, famous manga. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's got a sword, some some kind of energy sword. It's a it's a pretty tragic tale. He fights to the to you know protect a woman, but you know she dies and, and so on. It's mm-hmm. a it's a one shot. It's pretty nice, I guess, for for what it is for a debutant walk. It's pretty mm-hmm. interesting.
0: Yeah, I wish it would come stateside. Like you know how they tied in the Berserk prototype to Volume 14. I wish something like that would come over here. Yeah, because...
1: Well, the be problem eaten. is, uh, it was only pre-publicated, it was never, you know, published uh, as a volume or anything, so... Oh, just, I see. Yeah, and I don't think Mura would want it to be published anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, not,
0: not moving forward. I, I guess I meant, if it had been published in the past, and someone get the rights to it, obviously, he's probably not going to authorize something that he probably considers to be a, a imperfect work, you know, so...
1: Yeah.
0: That's too bad, though. I think it's a neat concept, and if, we're talking the last episode, I think it was, or two episodes about you know, Mira returning to sci-fi, and it's because we've seen what he done, what he had done with Noah, that makes us think that way. That he could probably do something really awesome in the sci-fi genre now.
1: Yeah, and he loves sci-fi in general. So
0: yeah, and those works got him into Niho Daikaku University, which is college. Fuzutabi was later published, and so was Noah. Fuzatabi won him a little title, best new author in their thirty-fourth contest. But it's in 1988 that he started, well, maybe not started working on, but ultimately published the Berserk prototype. So that's the, kind of the beginning of Berserk. Although he said, and Azir, Azir, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said he's kind of developed the world that Berserk inhabits throughout like high, high school and college before he kind of set out to make Berserk. I remember reading that somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a, of course it was a work that... Uh, you know he did over time yeah and it was only published in uh in 88 but uh yeah it was a culmination of you know probably a few years of work Yeah. and uh one thing to note is that uh he, he was more you know oriented towards uh science fiction but at the time he was basically told uh science fiction wasn't you know selling anymore and so it's not something his works were refused because you know, publishers weren't interested in sci-fi anymore, at least not at the time. And that's why he, you know, went uh, towards uh, fantasy.
0: Do you think at the time probably publishers thought that sci-fi was played out because those were big in the 70s? Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> pretty early
0: much. 80s. And at that point, yeah. you know, so I guess yeah, they were just looking to the future, the next yeah. genre.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, manga like Hokuto uh, no Ken, which was yeah. a big inspiration for a lot of mangaka of Mirage uh, Generation, it's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi, and I think, uh, yeah, they thought it was played out, and they were burned out, and they wanted to move to something, something else, and that's why he refocused on a fantasy.
0: Right. Actually, I read through the Berserk prototype again last night, and. It's really interesting. I mean, obviously, it's not what Berserk ultimately became. What what Berserk finally became was quite a bit different than the, the world that was depicted in that. Obviously, it's in the early work. I understand that, but it's interesting to, to look at it and, and the ways that it changed. Because there's still, it's still a world with apostles. It's still a revenge tale about a guy uh, who has a sacrifice on his on his body. It's on his chest, actually, in the prototype. He yep. still has a missing eye, still has that cannon arm. It is still, obviously, there's more similarities than there are dissimilarities, but what changes, what's interesting, like there's an evil god in that world that uh, sacrifices humans uh, and makes these, these beasts or apostles. But the apostle that he encounters in the prototype is called Vlad Tepes, which is obviously the basis for we you know his Dracula. Yeah, uh, it's his name in a Romanian, actually. Okay. Tepes means uh, the impaler. Oh, okay. And in the, in the story itself, he impales, you know, villagers and things like that. But the interesting thing is, as is an apostle, this guy has telepathy. Like, he can cre- – not telepathy, excuse me, telekinesis. He can um, move objects like spears and swords and throw them at guts with his mind, basically, or his powers, I guess. Yeah. Quite a bit different than it – it's less grounded, I guess, in, in a kind of a basis than Berserk is, where apostles are kind of just like, you know, superhuman humans. Uh, they're monsters, of course, but mm-hmm. – they're grounded in like you know a more understandable like magic basis. You know they're just super strong basically. They're not have magical powers things like that. So, well, that depends.
1: Okay, they don't they don't move
0: things with their mind. I guess I should okay. say. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> all. I mean. like that's really like high concept. Whereas Berser- a yeah. little, little makes it a little bit more grounded. I think.
2: Yeah, they're yeah, more like purely physical.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's that's better put. Yeah. Um, the, the brand makes an appearance, but it's a little more curvy, a little more um, contoured than the brand that we ultimately see. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because it, it looks to me like it seems, it kind of reads like a Fist of the North Star tale. <laughs> we have uh, the villagers that are oppressed by super, you know a super strong overlord type thing. Mira goes on to work for Bronson, the creator of Fist of the North Star. So I, I think it, the Fist of the North Star influence is pretty clear on the early stuff. Do you guys agree with that or no?
1: Well, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'd, I'd agree. One thing is that yeah, the world depicted in the prototype it feels a lot more. It's closer to a post-apocalyptic world than exactly. it is to you know in in Berserk you know proper. It's more a medieval thing, you know. In that one, right. it's, it's some kind of desert, you know. So yeah, I agree. But um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that the prototype pretty much went on to become a in contact with the Snake Baron and the Count later on, yep. you know?
0: Yeah, the scenario itself is extremely similar. There's some, actually, there's many scenarios in the prototype depicted well, that ultimately come up later.
1: One thing to to mention is that uh, Mura originally intended Berserk to be a shonen manga. So yeah. the prototype was created with that in mind, and as he drew it, he realized that he didn't want it to be a shonen, but a seinen manga, and then that's when he he changed the tone and com- complexified it.
0: Yeah, the other th- other thing I wanted to note about the prototype was the depiction of Guts as a character is quite a bit more roguish, kind of like a rogue fantasy cliche, more than he uh, is ultimately. He's kind of, I mean, you can kind of you can depict it as. Like the Black Swordsman era of Guts, the personality he had, like taken to like the furthest extreme. Like that's sort of like what he was like in the prototype or is in the the character he ultimately becomes quite a bit different. And I think the distinction yeah. is, d- is interesting to think about the kind of hero that Miura wanted to create and, and what he initially had set out to create. You know, the, the difference between those. He must have given it a lot of thought. Like what kind of character do I really want to have as the hero of my story? And I'm, I'm kind of glad he took the route he did. He's, guts is I'm obviously, as you said, it was initially set out to be a shonen. So the character, I mean, to me, that character didn't have as many dimensions as the guts that we ultimately know, you know? It's probably a factor in it as well. But anyway, um, that's enough about the prototype. Um, the next year, it might have been even the same year that he began, Mira began working with a creator of Fist of the North Star, uh, Baronson Okamura. Uh, he created Oro. Uh, published in Animal House, and uh, that same year, he began serializing the Berserk. So the Volume 1 era of Berserk began the same year that he was working with this legendary mangaka. And uh, within a year later, he had published another work with Baronson and Berserk Volume 1. So think about that for a moment. He was working with this, you know, kind of like the the top-level creator in the manga industry, as he begins, as he begins the, the foundation for the series that will ultimately become known for in the same like span of two years. He must have been a pretty busy guy. I mean, what do you guys think about that in, in the terms of Berserk's early years being uh, spread apart with this other work he was making as well?
1: You know, one thing I would mention is that uh, Brunson isn't really the mangaka behind Hukuto uh, no Ken. It's uh, Tetsuo Hara. Tetsuo huh. Hara actually created the concept and uh, he wasn't necessarily a very good uh, writer so he brought on Burnson on board which uh, he's uh, Burnson is a writer you know he's not a drawer he he just does the writing so anyway uh, yeah I, I think well, like I was mentioning earlier that to me pretty clearly the early volumes of Berserk suffered from the fact Mura was walking in parallel on oral with uh, burnson because he probably didn't have as much time to focus on Berserk and to you know put more care into the story, the art, and everything that he did you know for you know oral, which I think took precedence for him, so you know I think in some of the early volumes the the art is uneven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh I think it's it's fault from the fact he couldn't put more time and more effort into it, because he was busy with other stuff. Of course, that's just subjective, and that's just my idea, but when you look at the artwork in Oro, you know, most of the panels look like, you know, he spent a lot of time on them, and whereas in the early volumes of Berserk, you know, some panels are really great, and some others you you can tell, you know, he spent less time on them.
0: Right. I I think the immediate thing you notice when you look at the earlier volumes of Berserk, I mean, even independent of comparing it to Oro, is the amount of background detail like a lot of things you have panels with characters in the foreground and then in a white background which is you know Mira doesn't do that anymore obviously he fills in his background and gives it atmosphere and environment detail but that's you know 20 years later but i mean even in the past he, he in those earlier volumes he wasn't spending a lot of time on the scenario detail it was mostly the character foreground was the focus of the shots and then he moved on to the next panel without filling it out you know so it's not very characteristic of him, the artist he eventually became to be
2: yeah yeah i would uh I would definitely agree with you guys on that, like looking at those uh at those works, they look a lot more typical of his like of like you know later on in the series like so it's not like the i guess when you like compare it to the early volumes, the early volumes i guess a good way to describe it they look a lot thinner, like you were just saying how the backgrounds are a little more sparse. And even just, even the main characters, like, I just feel like everything, it looks more like it was, it's almost like it was drawn with more, like, a fine point, if that makes sense, than Mm -hmm. later on where the lines start getting a little thicker. And if you look at, like, uh, at Japan and, uh, what's the translation for, is it King of Wolves? Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, if you look at the work there, it looks a lot more typical of, like, later in Berserk. And I think, like, what you were saying is, like, pretty apparent that he was sort of, like, you know, putting his you know best into those and sort of like you know it seems typical of his personality he was like his own work he was like yeah i don't know he was, he was he was giving it the least priority like sort of you know just you know and making sure he put his all into those other works you know because i guess <laughs> because i assume he was working with someone else and he didn't want to let them down
1: yeah exactly and buronson i mean for him at the time to have somebody like Zach work with him, it's like a, a huge honor. So obviously yeah. he, he would put everything into it. It's very obvious.
0: Yeah. We're, we're actually, we're going to end the Mira history section just by saying that directly after publishing Volume 1, he did Japan or Nippon with Bronson. And then he pretty much started dedicating himself to Berserk. And since then, he's done Berserk and Berserk-related things since 1992. Around that same time, Animal House became Young Animal... And at that point, it's it's basically the beginning of volume five or around the beginning of volume five. Yeah, uh, he begins episode numbers. Episode 001 is you know around the volume five era, and that's the beginning of the young animal time as well. So it's kind of like an, a fresh start uh, to the numbering scheme and to his publishing career and to his focus at that point. He's doing Berserk moving forward, and for the past twenty years since ninety two, he's been doing Berserk stuff. And I think you guys know pretty much what happened with Berserk since then, you know, we're in volume 37 at this point. So he's been working hard ever since. That's the information I have based on like the the dates, that the hard facts of Mira's background. But as I understand it, he's done other interviews. He, He sometimes reveals parts about his life through, the young animal blurbs they have in each individual issue. I think at one point, still, did you say that Mira like like playing Mario Kart at the time, which is like 1994, 1995, or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's really he, cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it was in uh, 1993 actually. Oh, Okay, wow. And, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, he, you, you can get a, a lot of information about him uh, from. What he did, like for example, uh, I think the same year in nineteen ninety-three. He mentioned how oh, he didn't like RoboCop three, <laughs> you know.
2: <laughs> it's just like yeah. I think we were like totally on the same page at that time. Me and <laughs> we could have been best friends.
1: <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, he also said uh, he saw Jurassic Park and it was the biggest uh, cinematic uh, shock for him since he saw Return of the Jedi. So. Oh
0: wow!
1: Yeah, yeah. wow. Again, I agree. I mean, I also, also was very impressed by Jurassic Park at the time.
0: Yeah. It's so, still too, it's too, too bad there's no T Rex apostle, you know. Just saying. It would be great. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grunveld comes closest. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, you you know, one thing he mentioned uh, in one of his interviews is: you know, somebody was asking him about Berserk, like if he wanted it to be a historical manga. And Mm -hmm. Mira answered that it wasn't. That even though he, when he started Berserk, he, you know, asked himself, like, am I going to do a historical manga or not? And he he researched a lot of uh, history to to create it either way, but eventually he decided to make it fantasy and not to care about history. And he says very clearly that it's why he mixes several historical periods together, like, you know, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, you know. uh, Because uh, he wants, you know, at the time he said, like, while he was young, he wanted to stimulate his imagination and uh, create things which are just not not just base himself on history, is that he could do that while he would be old,
0: mm.
1: like some kind of retirement plan. Of course, since then he he seems to have forgotten about this. But yeah, at the time that's what he said. So yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, it is funny. I mean, this is a small aside, but in the recent interviews regarding the anime, the anime movie production, they keep referring to Berserk taking place in historical medieval Europe. Like, come on, really? I mean. There are little elements that clearly were inspired by those times, but the world that Berserk inhabits is like a hodgepodge of different cultures and countries and architectures and all this sorts of stuff. You know, I mean, to, yeah. to classify it merely as medieval Europe, it's just like come on, there's a and, lot uh, going on there.
1: Mira said before that he, I mean, he's not even trying to pretend. Yeah. He uses weapons from different periods and armors and clothes, and architecture. He's not trying. He just does it because it looks good. It feels good. Yeah, and, But, yeah, yeah, he's not trying to have
0: any, any kind of accuracy there. Right. And, and, not- and why should he? It's a fantasy world. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think in that promotional material, it's just sort of a catch-all for people. You know, they'll understand what that means, even though it's not really accurate. And it, it is bothersome in that, you know, you wouldn't describe the Lord of the Rings as taking place in, like, any sort of period <laughs> like that. Like, oh, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like medieval Europe. Well, wait a minute. No, it isn't. You know, I mean, Berserk isn't like that either, you know like yeah. you said it's such a hodgepodge but yeah i think it's just it's probably easier to like you know bring people in immediately with that understanding you know sort of frame it that way for them even though it's not you know
0: totally accurate yeah um going further into mira's background with berserk you know one thing we didn't touch on during the timeline discussion was kind of his influences in the beginning and now i want to preface this by saying that so many people try to throw like uh, various works and say well this one had like you know a particular looking mask so clearly this is a direct inspirational mirror now i mean we can theorize and speculate on what may or may not have influenced him all we can really know for sure is what he has said has been influenced have been influences on him at the time Uh, there have been a couple of works that he said were direct influences on them he he liked a lot of the the genre type movies in the 80s he mentions a couple of them uh, what was it flesh and blood i think he mentioned oh Rutger hower's movies in particular in the 80s seemed yeah. a relatively large inspiration on him the question was asked of him during an interview you know what was the the basis for for guts character i mean he he said physically it was based on Rutger hower in the 80s like the movies that he was in uh particularly flesh and blood and if you go look go back and watch flesh and blood it's really interesting I'm not going to say it's a direct influence, like for the story, but there's a lot of parallels between *Flesh and Blood* and Berserk.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one thing you have to say is that uh, he mentions that Ruggers' hours uh, characters were an influence for him, but you know, he's what he said about it has varied in you know several interviews. But when it comes to his physical model, he's you know he said also that. There wasn't really one. Like he's drawn yeah. a lot of characters during his uh his youth, you know, when he was in college and high school and they all kinda look like guts, but it's some kind of bits and pieces basically. Mm. You know? So he said Ragawa was more I think it's more as, as far as the personality exhibited in the in these movies, if I remember correctly. That were right. more of an inspiration for him.
0: He well he it's he kinda he of, kinda of goes back on, on what he said. He first says Rucker Hauer was, a, was like a physical inspiration like for the model, but not his personality. But he later says that like the, char- the main character from Highlander reminds him of Guts. And so he kind of goes back and forth on what actually influenced Guts's personality. But I, I agree. If you go back and watch those early Rucker Hauer movies, and, and for this podcast, I actually watched one I'd not seen before called uh, The Blood of Heroes, is how it's called in the US and it's yeah you can definitely see some early guts inspiration uh for the, the who guts ultimately became in those earlier movies he just has that attitude that, like basically yeah. can't be te- can't be defeated really you know aggressive attitude and well what's ex- interesting
2: what's interesting to me is like guts attitude early on in the series and in the prototype like you were talking about that extreme yeah. seems a lot more like uh, the rutger hauer characters yeah. in those movies and later on, like, yeah, Guts becomes, I guess, more like, uh, you know, highlander And then he becomes a lot more, like, brooding and sort of moody. And he obviously has, like, you know, he's, like, got a past. Right. It's sort of the same deal. So that kind of makes sense, like, that he would say that about the characters.
0: Well, I think – I think – the character guts ultimately became the, the guts that we know now. The way he's been fully developed, I mean, he he he's so far from any direct inspiration at this point. He's become his own thing. I mean, yeah, we can certainly we can yeah. certainly make assertions for who he was in the beginning because the the source of the influence was so direct at the time, and he wasn't a fully formed character. But who he is now, it's like I wouldn't even begin to say that he was directly influenced by anybody because he's basically well, yeah, his creation now.
2: Well, it's at the point where I mean, he's there's such a depth to him now. It's like you just you know, he can barely draw, like, a little expression on him, and it says so much. Like, yeah. he doesn't even have to talk anymore, basically, and you already know how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, he's, he he's is at a, that
0: point. He really is an amazing character. And I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as possible when I say that, because I know, obviously, I'm someone who's been reading Berserk for a long time. But, I mean, yeah, I've, I've read a lot of comics. I've read a lot of fiction as an English major might. And but he's really special to me. I, I think uh, I have I have a lot of respect for him as a character. Mir has given him so many facets, uh, more than you see in this kind of genre fiction, uh, and such a rich history that, that, like Griff said earlier, you know you just see a, a small smile or a grimace on his face, and it it means more than it might with another character because you know him so well and you know his background so well. Uh, I have a lot of uh, strong feelings for him as a character. And anyway, another series that Miura has said was a great influence on him was uh, The Gwensaga, which is a very long Japanese novel series uh, written by Kaworu Kurimoto, who has since passed away. I believe it was in 2007 or 2008 that she died, but she wrote it up until she died. And I think it was around 120 volumes long, or books, I should say. And, you know, it's something that Miura had read throughout the time. Uh, I've only read two books. I think there are five that were released outside of Japan. Uh, I think Azil has the first five. The first two, it's okay. You know, it's what you'd expect from, you know, a series that was written throughout the 70s and the 80s. You can kind of see what it might be as a fantasy series. And it has a number of things, sort of similar to Berserk. Uh the most interesting of which to me uh I didn't find out until much later after researching it I think Aziel has come across it was there is these there there godhand like characters in the series that have you know immense magical power and kind of come in and out of the story as kind of overseers and they whatever they did ultimately like changed the uh, the course of history for one of the, char- the main character uh they he has this tiger mask on his face and whatever happened, he doesn't know his past, and that's that's the basis of the story. But yeah. his his past is tied to these like ultra powerful characters who he ultimately begins hunting down. No, so.
1: no, it's it's not exactly the same. Actually, okay. uh, you know, when Gwyn wakes up, he's just got the mask, and he doesn't remember. And there's a lot of uh, questioning as to whether it's a mask or his real face, or, or and so on. Right. Uh, the characters you refer to are called the Seven Wizards, and uh, yeah. they're they're magic users that he encounters uh, later on in the series. And uh, yeah, Murat said um, these characters, the Seven Wizards, Influence, the Golden end in in uh, in a few ways. But mm. I haven't read that far, of course, so I can't tell you how and why. But uh, I don't think they are the other ones who. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite sure they are the ones who gave him the mask. So
0: oh, really? Oh, I thought I read that.
1: No, I don't think so. They're tied to him in another way. He I think he eventually kills them all, so yeah. I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah, the series, you know, was very long. There were many spin-offs and Gwyn wasn't even always uh, the main character. Right. So yeah, at times he diverged to others. But yeah, it was a big influence to to Mira.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting about it is, you know, we knew it was an insp- inspiration for him early on, like I think it was ninety seven that he said the interview, and maybe it was even done before then. But what's known is that the, the series was published up until, I think it was 2007 or 2008 when the author died. Yeah. So you, you can presume, and pretty uh, astutely, that he would be reading this as he's creating Berserk. So that's some, I always think that's neat to know the things that he's currently, you know, doing in his life that while he's writing Berserk that may or may not have a, a tinge of influence to it or not. But like we know that he plays popular games, um, like Azil had said earlier, like, um, if it's a popular game, he's probably has his hands on it. Like it's, it's probably likely that he's played a Dragon Quest game, or one or two or three or all of them. You know, for all we know. So it's just neat to know. Yeah. Other influences. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but I think what was most interesting to me, and I, I bolded this in the notes, is that he said that Star Wars is his all-time favorite movie. He doesn't go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he means. The original trilogy, because <laughs> this 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 interview actually was in '97, so it would have been before. Well, that, he uh, like
2: he goes out of his way to point out, you know, that Episode One is not good. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, does he?
0: Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: That's right. He I was pretty not... disappointed by it. So,
0: yeah. Well, who wouldn't be? I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah,
2: I sure was. no what's crazy to me is like all this stuff you say like you know star wars is my favorite movie too you know mario (laughs) kart and all this stuff i feel like i really could have like i could i still feel like i could just hang out with this guy like the language barrier would be the issue but like otherwise we could be like good friends like other than just you know being a fan of his work
0: yeah i mean not always the case I do wonder what is what he is like as a person. I mean, you don't get much about... You, you can get a little bit about his background in his interviews, but you don't get a, a really good sense of who he is as a person until you kind of listen to his interviews. And uh, so to me, one of the most revealing things was listening to when the anime production crew called him up on an interview and you could kind of hear... I didn't have a translator present. But you can kind of hear like the pauses he would make before answering a question and the way he would approach a question. It kind of gives you a, a little sense of what he might be like in a, on an everyday wow. type of scenario. Yeah.
1: And we do know, I mean, beyond his personality, we also do know quite a bit about him. I mean, you, we know he likes Hirazawa's music. Yeah. Uh, we know he played Vanderhass, which, again, you know, I, I can uh, relate uh, with. He, he loved Red Dwarf, you know, the mm-hmm. British TV series. I don't. I, I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, for, I never seen it. Yeah, well, it, it was pretty funny, and he liked it when it aired so many years ago. Mm. And uh, he also likes uh, Dark Knight Returns and Kingdom Come, you know, US comics. <laughs> so, yeah, Kingdom I mean, Come. Uh, oh man, really? <laughs> I well, hate that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the he Alex read, Ross thing. Yeah. He he commented on reading it, you know, back mm. in the day. I I wouldn't, I, you know, he never said it was his favorite or anything, but. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, know.
2: Yeah. Did he, what did he say about the Dark Knight Returns?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. He just said he a a tooth. That's oh, okay. it. Oh, okay. And uh, he likes uh, he liked uh, Sakura Taisen. You know, uh, mm. it's an SF uh, video a, games.
0: Extremely yeah. popular Japanese series video games. Yeah. I guess I mean the rest of the podcast that we're going to talk about kind of like what what we think of Mira as an artist and. and Kind of uh, where does he where does he fit on the spectrum of, of manga artists? Uh, I, I don't know the history of too many other manga artists. No one I've really followed that much, but he seems kind of special in that the series has been going on for so long in, in one series. It's not like it's not like he made a series and then had a series of spinoffs that lasted twenty years. It's it's one continuous story, and I think that makes him special in the among manga artists in general. I think he's one of the greatest artists that's currently doing work, serializing work. Let me put it that way: the fact that he's so dedicated to his craft, he doesn't make uh, contingencies for for the thing for what he wants out of his series. You know, is very dedicated to the characters and dedicated to the story at the cost of his own health, at the cost of his own. You know, some would say his own um, reputation uh, for having to delay the releases so much, but it's all in the course of making what he wants to do his perfect series. So. Probably at the of
2: cost respect. of his sanity as well. <laughs> to
0: yeah. Agree. yeah. So I have a lot of respect for him.
1: Well, yeah, he's certainly dedicated. And he said several times before that uh, while it was very hard at times to be a manga like that. Because, yeah, you spend your whole life bent over your desk. But uh, he have also said that he wouldn't want any other life. So, yeah, that's, that's what he wants. That's what he likes to do. And he's doing it. And he's doing it as best as he can. Yeah. What's more, yeah. kind of fun? Ask for <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. If to me, I don't like. I'm with uh, Walter. I don't really know a lot about a bunch of different uh, you know manga artists. But to me, I mean, it doesn't really matter. He's sort of uh, he's like he's the one I you know follow sort of most closely It's probably Ino and, Inno. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's the one who I can sort of re- like. He's one of the few artists that I follow that I feel like I can actually like as a person, and more after you know today and what you guys had to say or I see like similarities like I can really empathize with him. He seems very down to earth. Even yeah. uh Inno seems sort of larger than life, or you know, like the profe- you know, he's doing museum pieces and painting, you know, floors and things and you know I don't know, he always seems very sort of a little very big. Whereas uh you know, Mura is like, you know, he's he's just doing work. He's you know, he does what he does. He enjoys it. He's, you know, I think of him as, you know, sort of, you know, working in the studio. and. Yeah, he keeps to his studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's just he's just working away. And, yeah. I don't know, I relate to him, like, artistically, too, like, his style. I've always liked it, and I've always, like, sort of considered him, like, very, like, he's very, very good, but it's in a very sort of, like... Like he's, I I see him as sort of like a drawer's drawer. Like you know he, you know he's very detail oriented. He likes to get in there and do all the little details. It's not like again, just uh, the only comparison I have is Inno, who's like you know. It's, I think of it more like, you know, big brush strokes and you know, sort of you know very arty, mm-hmm. like in that regard. Whereas uh, Mayor Moore is more methodical and sort of just gets in there and really uh really goes to work on things.
0: Well, I, I think what you're getting at is like the way. Muir depicts his world i mean there's there's like a there's a lot of realism to the way the, the details are drawn whereas the yeah way in in Inoue approaches his world it's kind of painterly you know it's kind of done with a it's more stylistic whereas yeah. berserk it seems more like grounded in there it's like a hardened uh depiction of the world that's there like a, a fine fine lines very sharp detail sharp imagery i mean i'm not gonna say it's not atmospheric because it is but like if you draw a town for example Oa may kind of get an impression of the town, whereas Mira would go in there and actually draw, like, the well, the guy sitting next to the well carrying a pumpkin, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I was actually, I mean, Griff, me and you had a conversation many years ago. We were talking about the way Mira may have been brought up as an artist. Like, if you look at the way he developed his art style from the late 80s the beginning of Berserk to now – it seems like and obviously by by talking about his timeline and the background, we know that he was classically trained by artists, but it seems like he learned more from his own experience than he did in class, you know? Yeah. It seems like you can see if you look at those just like those two extremes, the very beginning and the very end, the things that he learned, like the lessons that he learned in his artist his, his art style seem to be like self taught in that sense. Well it may, yeah. have had, it may have had a grounding in school, but the big lessons he learned while he was drawing.
1: Yeah, his career is very unconventional. Anyway, I mean, he he never was the assistant of uh, anybody. Yeah. So he really did learn just all by himself. You know, past school, which he you know ended uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. While he was just you know tw- 22. and mm-hmm. uh, he he just yeah he just started right away and he developed all by himself. And I think his style resembles uh, classical uh, etchings. You know. Like yeah, you're ones. right. I
0: forgot to mention that.
1: Yeah, like, like the ones of Gustave Doré, which uh, was mm-hmm. a French illustrator, which said he he liked very much. And yeah, the, the styles are yeah. You know, I mean, they resemble each other closely. And I, I think um, Murat drew from that.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: a it's a testament to his uh, I mean, to his skill that he could reach that level of uh, quality because it's pretty difficult to do.
0: Yeah, there are times. Um, I mean, the most. Uh, one that jumps out at me is like the era of volume 18 to 20. There are so many scenes that are depicted that seem to come straight out of like uh, post Renaissance drawings or that era of drawings. Uh, mostly, like I say, Dore stuff, it kind of jumps off the page at you as influences for Berserk. Uh, I think there's one where like the Vortex of Souls, looks like uh, this particular thing that Dore had done. You sent me a link to it once.
1: Yeah. And there's, well, there's many things. Evan, you mentioned earlier a town, like, you know, Ritanis. uh,
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm still very amazed at how he depicted it, how lively it seems. Mm. And, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible to me.
0: I love it. I love it when he goes into towns. It doesn't do it very often. But he just really, really just draws everything. You know, <laughs> it's like the way Shirk is is intimidated by people in towns. It's like I'm sure Mira is like, "Oh, I gotta draw those townspeople again." Fuck, you know.
2: <laughs> or when he draws entire armies, you know, in oh, like God, where every yeah. every soldier is drawn with like the same amount of detail as if it was just a picture Jesus. of one soldier.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that battle sequence with the the Holy See armies versus Kanishka, like it, it, it's like. It's draining just to look at it, you know, the sheer amount of detail that goes into that section. And, of course, later on, when the assault on Windham it's the same thing, you know, which is crazy amounts of detail. It's like, man, just get some sleep, dude, you know? Ah, feel bad for him.
1: <laughs> you know, the ships were very hard for him to do as well, the ships in Ritanis. Before, long before they reach, the characters reached uh, Ritanis, Mura yeah. went to a harbor, some kind of historical... Uh, Dutch harbor I would say and uh, he basically took uh, it was a museum I believe in Japan Mm -hmm. and he took a lot of information on ships there you know many years before it happened in the manga to prepare for it to study ships so that when he had to depict them they would look good and uh, yeah, yeah they sure, they sure did
0: look good yeah I remember you saying that actually it was around the time I visited you in 2005 I think you'd said that word had spread that Miura had gone on vacation in Europe and I remember thinking hey, maybe we'll see him visiting France or something you know yeah (laughs) yeah Well, the last time we were on, we had a bunch of guests talking about Mass Effect 3, but we never actually got a chance to give the main man himself, Mr. Mass Effect, the chance to talk about the game, because the could not be on. But now that you've beaten it, we can all pretty much talk about anything. So, I wanted to give you the chance to give your say on the game.
1: Well, actually, I I like the game very much. I -hmm. mean, while I was playing it, I thought it was very good, and now that I've beaten it, I still think it's very good. Uh, not perfect, of course, because none of the games were perfect. But, uh, yeah, I, I was satisfied with it. Mainly the fact that it fixed a lot of things that people didn't like in Mass Effect 2. I mean, when I say people, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys, but that's about it. So, yeah, because I, I don't care about other people. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they fixed a lot of things that uh, felt wrong in Mass Effect 2, like, you know, the lack of uh, modification for weapons. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah, there are a couple of uh, improvements that I also really enjoyed. Like the fact you can get... Uh, your reputation can go up and it's not either Renegade or Paragon, but both at the same time. I yeah. thought that was really great. And it's something... I, I didn't think they would ever do it because... It's so, I mean, it's such a staple of video games to have, yeah, one or the other, either good or bad. Right. And the the fact you could raise both at once, it really impressed me, and I was really pleased with that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, little mechanics like that that I really enjoyed. And uh, overall, I I thought the fact they brought back uh, so many things from the previous games, I mean, I I was impressed with that. I I have to admit that uh, I played the games with all the DLCs and everything. And so, I would say I was the best in the best place to experience all the little things they would throw at me. But uh, yeah, I, I was impressed with it. Honestly, I was impressed. I mean, it's you know really little things, but when you're in the Citadel, you're you know following some kind of battalion, hacking you know terminals or some stupid shit like that, and. You finally get the last one, and some guys at your back with a gun. You turn around, and it's Balak, the, the guy from
2: Mass Effect. Oh, yeah.
1: Once DLC, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I, mean, I let the guy go. I told him I would, I would find him again one day. And honestly, I didn't expect them to bring him back, but yeah, they, they sure did. And it's a testament to, you know, the premise of Mass Effect 3 that I actually let the fucker live. I didn't shoot him because what? I needed. Yeah, I needed. His, you know, he was a. Admiral of the Battalion and fleet. And, uh sure. Yeah, and so I, I, you know, managed to get him to become the vanguard of our armies to go fight the Reapers. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> did that
0: too, actually. Uh, I, I, I killed him in Mass Effect 1, and I was happy about it, so. <laughs> yeah. But, Even though uh, hundreds of people died that, night, that day, it was worth it. <laughs> and,
1: and, you know, it's, it's just, you know, stuff like that, or the fact you can find the, you know, pinnacle station. And you get that you know motherfucker Turian there you know that you know that jackass and you can get his uh, elite. Oh fighting. really? They are fighting team and yeah, <laughs> you recruit them to fight you know for the against the Reaper. So yeah, it's stuff like that.
0: That's you awesome. Know, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, it's very rewarding. very. rewarding. <laughs> I mean, the, the, in the same way that the, the doctor who is at Quarta Memorial Hospital is a doctor from the Ward in Mass Effect One, you know, Doctor Michelle. Yeah. Right. That kind, of, that kind of stuff, half forgotten about. You know, it's it's it was pretty cool. Okay, mm. uh, okay, it, it's not perfect. I mean, some things like what was it with the arachnid felt a bit like you know a bit cheap. But, yeah, it was uh, tacked on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just that I saved it once already. I would have wanted something different. So yeah. Yeah, it's, not, it's not perfect, but I'm sure there had you no know, many obstacles to walk around and. Overall, I can't think of another game series who attempted something like that. So, yeah, I was pretty satisfied. And I had no problem with the ending, either. I, I mean, I chose... Well, I guess we can speak about <laughs> the endings. I chose the destruction ending, and I had a full score, so... yeah, Actually, I hesitated, because just to give a bit of background, much like Walter, I, I've played, you know, Deus Ex games, and, uh, yeah, I usually tend to choose a synthesis ending in these games. Because, yeah, it, it felt proper in you know, the first Deus Ex, but... In Mass Effect, you know, I didn't trust the kid and uh, I, I didn't think it was proper for Shepard to try to, to merge with the machines. Either way, I didn't trust it, I didn't know the result, I chose the Destruct ending and I was pretty glad with the result. And it's actually one of the things I'm uh, a bit worried about with the talk of expanding on what happened, is that currently, my Shepard survived, the Reapers are dead. My crew is, you know, stranded on some on some uh, planet, and I can make up in my head an ending I like. Like, for in my head, I can imagine Shepard will get a ship and he will find Lyra and will you know, live happy with her and have, you know, plenty of blue babies. It's fine. <laughs> you know, if they expand on it and it's not possible anymore, then well, I, might, I might actually get pissed, you
0: know, because they're they're, they're going to clarify. I can almost guarantee you, whatever they clarify is not going to say shepard reunited with his crew it's not going to be about shepard yeah. at all i can almost yeah. guarantee you it won't be yeah,
1: yeah i also think it won't be uh, you know it might explain how your crew got uh got out of there yeah. and so on but yeah i mean a lot of people complain actually I, i've read that a lot of people complain they didn't get a happy ending well you know the district ending is about as happy as you can get it wasn't going to be sacrifice free but you know, your romance partner survives, Shepard survives. Yeah, what, what more do we want? Yeah, sure, they're not together, I'm getting married, but you can, <laughs> I mean, you can make that happen in your head. Again, uh, Shepard is not old. Yeah. Even if it takes him 20 years, he can still go, go and get there, and that's it,
2: yeah. It's going to take that long without the Mass Effect relays, though, man.
0: Just yeah. <laughs> get all I think,
2: dirty about it.
0: I think, I think a lot of the complaints about the ending were very misguided. Like I can see how someone might not like the ending, but the way they approached it and the way they actually addressed the problems they had with the ending, it was all it was all over the place. It was a mixed yeah. message. Honestly, and none yeah. of the arguments felt valid to me. Like the, it, the happy ending, come, come on, really? I mean, no, that, I. Didn't, I didn't. No, go the ahead. issue, the the issue is not that it's not a happy ending. The issue they had, I, I presume, is just that. I think it's the final image is what really spoiled a lot of things with that ending. Like not even not even just the fact that you're talking to basically like a Deus Ex Machina type entity who gives you three solutions. Even beyond that, that probably would have been fine. But it's the last impression they leave you with before they cut the credits. This is the most awkward to me, and that's kind of it, kind of. Sp- Begins to like smell like soil, a, a sour milk at that point, and you start to like well, criticize everything that happened beforehand. You know,
2: the thing is, if you do the the destruct ending, like the sort of if you get the best one, the last image before the credits is actually like pretty perfect. Yeah,
0: the shepherd thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like I, yeah, I, I actually really love that. Like I, you know, I love the, you know, just that that they just signal it so you know. It's not subtle, but I mean, it's subtle considering, like, you know, they could add him walking around or something or, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, yeah, like, to me, that was very cool that, like, it, it was like the ultimate extension of the Mass Effect one ending where it's like, oh, you know, the arm, you know, Sovereign's arm or whatever, you know, flies yeah. in there a piece of him. And, you know, it's like, what happened to Shepard? You know, everyone's shaking their head, and, you know, it's that very... But I, I guess people wanted that, where it's, like, real heroic. You know, he's running up, it, and you know he's going to come out, and then he comes out, and it's like, oh, he's alive. I guess people just wanted something more uplifting. I heard that complaint, too, that it wasn't uplifting enough. It didn't represent the series, like, <laughs> message of hope. And I was like, what? Did it, you I don't know. Did I guess you to okay go on
0: no, no you you, you
2: well yeah I'm so cynical that I guess I was thinking like message of hope you know, who cares yeah it's like I want him to be like half dead you know that's I want him to be alive but I only want him to be half alive that's like the best <laughs>
0: you know like that's the best way to do it well, did you I, see did you see Mega64's uh, ending oh yeah it, it, it
2: I, uh, I, I posted it
0: oh yeah yeah that's right yeah they gave, and, uh, they gave all the, the company or the fans a trophy that said you won like congratulations no, you, yeah, you
2: did it <laughs> you, <laughs> you did know? it because yeah like that was the other thing is, like i didn't have the sense of accomplishment yeah. all my decisions you know and at the end like what nobody cares <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like yeah no that's the thing that's bizarre to me was this whole idea that like as if the games were truly like totally customizable like you know like we were the authors or something and it's like no it was like uh-huh. there were there were like Three different paths for each thing at most. <laughs> it's a
0: choose-your-own-adventure like, yeah. choose more than it is anything. Like it's flipped to this yeah. section if you chose this, you know. It's... Yeah, pretty
1: much. Yeah, and f- even f- from Mass Effect One, honestly, the freedom is all. I mean, it's all an illusion. It's pre-programmed.
2: Yeah, yeah. What pick has no has no effect on like the story. I mean, it has a superficial effect, and like, oh, is the council dead or is the council alive? But either way, the world proceeds the exact same way. Whether no, they're dead um, or alive, it doesn't change. Like you know, it's oh, yeah. not fundamentally different based on those decisions in any of the games. Like but what were you
0: saying two podcasts ago, Griff? We were talking. Actually, it was off podcast, but you were saying if Morden didn't survive Mass Effect Two, you get another Solarian scientist. that's pretty much in the exact same yeah. scenario as the Morden. Worst, like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah.
2: That's, yeah, you get another guy, and the, and the funny thing is is that they're actually very similar, like, their dialogue, like, the, what they say is similar, their choices are similar. Like, with Warden, you can, you know, decide, you know, like, he can live or he can die, depending on what you do with the genophage, and, the, and at the, if you fake it, if you fake the cure, he'll be like, well, I have to leave to, you know, make it consistent, like, we have to get our story consistent, that I died, so I'm yeah. gonna disappear, <laughs> and the other guy does the exact same thing. Like, And it's like, really? And they walk out the same door in the same way, and it's like, okay, obviously, I mean, if you choose one way, you wouldn't know the other way, but yeah. it, it's not actually representative of, you know, like the real world where it's like, oh, things are totally different because this person isn't alive. They can be a little bit. Like, in the assassination scene, if both Thane and Kirahi, are, if they're both dead, then the Salarian uh, counselor will get assassinated. Mm. But oh, okay. I doubt... I doubt that has, like, a major effect, like, either. And that's not going to, like, totally change, like, the direction of the story or, the or you know, the development of the Crucible. Or, like, oh, well, we, we lost the war against the Reapers because the Salarians didn't give us enough support, <laughs> you know,
0: sort of a thing. Yeah, it just, they, gave it, they gave us 400, not 700, you know, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they
2: gave us uh, 400 more assets instead of 700, you yeah. know, it just, it's it it's never been those kind of games and maybe in this one is actually probably most representative of the changes just from in a superficial way cuz depending on if you had everyone survive mass effect 2 or not i feel like that would fundamentally change the game like i think my game is pretty like is a lot weaker than it could have been because yeah. everyone's dead, basically. So I'm not getting like... Yeah, that like, sounds
0: really like it sucks, man. Like, everyone survived mine. I made sure that everyone survived mine. And the, the things you were describing, are like, some things played out, like, di- not fundamentally differently, but differently enough that it would make me either like the scene or not like the scene, you know? Like, well, the yeah. Morden thing in particular, like, it was very important to me that Morden was alive Mm. for that genophage scene, because that was one of the most powerful ones to me in the whole game. I actually liked his
2: uh, replacement, though. He was actually kind of an interesting character in his own right, and he actually sort of, uh, I don't know if Morden has similar dialogue, but he actually, he's the first one to sort of foreshadow, like, the catalyst. Because he's all into, yeah, because he's like a big evolutionary. He's like an evolutionist. He believes in, you know, not... You know he thinks the genophage is wrong. you need to let species develop and run their course if Krogan are meant to be like the dominant species, then you know just let it you know happen if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. that's sort of his attitude and he talks about like evolution as being like uh
0: does he call it the galactic imperative or something no no, is?
2: no, he doesn't get all javic on it, but he's okay. uh he does he just says how like he believes in evolution, but he's got, like, sort of, he's also spiritual, like, he, like, he has, like, he, like, combines religion with evolution, like, believes that there is someone behind it, like, he's, like, he talks about, like, how there's, like, it's, like, you can see the patterns, you know, like, how it's a plan, so that was the first time they actually, in my mind, it was like, oh, are they, you know, we gonna get to meet, you know, this entity, this, you Mm -hmm. know, this sort of bigger thing, and I don't know if the Catalyst actually does that, but it was the first thing that made me think of something like that, that you know, what the catalyst ended up being, this overseer. Mm. Speaking of, like, the replacement characters, the worst one, and I told Az about this, is Legion, because Legion died, again, among everyone else on my crew at the end of Mass Effect 2, because I didn't care at that point, and it really did sort of ruin, like, it didn't ruin the game for me, but it would have been a lot better with all of them alive. I wish I had gone back before playing this one and fixed that. But, uh, But Legion, if he died, he just comes back was like yeah he comes he's they they have like a copy of him he's like a clone it's like another Geth it's oh like with his like a copy of his personality but before he met Shepard and so it's this really weird byplay where uh... and also his armor is like on him but it's a hologram of the armor <laughs> like uh, um, okay yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's really, really weird,
2: weird. <laughs> and uh, and the funny thing is is the whole time Shepard is like. He's like really attached to him. It's like probably the most attached I see him get with anyone besides like a romance. And just where he's like <laughs> calling him, where he's calling him Legion, and he's always like, "Hey, remember when we went and like took down the Collector base Legion?" And the guy's like, "I am not Legion. You know, I am just a copy." It's, and like Shepard's like, "Damn it, no, you're not. We fought the Collectors together and everything." And I'm thinking like, why is Shepard being so irrational about this? He is like a robot. You know, he's like synthetic. It's like yeah, you know, it really isn't him. It's not like wow. he's back. Dead, so it was funny. And I forget, but I think at the end, like, either they, like, Legion lets on, like, you know, maybe I am, you know, the same Legion or not, but it was like they had, like, they came to, like, a little understanding before his death, you know, that, uh, like, you know, thank you, you know, thanks, Shepherd Commander, something like that, where it's, this, they ended on a nice, step. but yeah, that's the worst example of, like, yeah, your actions meant nothing because, you know, that's the so character stupid. is, yeah, the, the role is still going to be played. We still have a story in place, and it's going to proceed, you know, a certain way.
0: Yeah, One of the biggest disappointments for me in the game was the uh, opposition, you know, Harbinger is built up from Mass Effect 2 to be kind of like the end-all Reaper, and all you get out of Harbinger is him, you know, landing near the Citadel elevator basically, and then firing his laser at you a couple times while you meander past him, and that's it, that's your you interaction even, with Harbinger. But you
2: didn't even finish the job, he's kind of a loser and yeah, the end of
0: everything. And and even beyond that, that the elusive man ultimately becomes kind of like this like terrible Saren sequel, which didn't even like wasn't even as cool as Saren. Yeah, he had two games worth of development inside him and, and he ultimately didn't deliver. It was just ugh what, was, what a waste of time.
2: Well I, I don't know, I defended him to you. I like him based pretty much on like not being the elusive man, but just being that he's Martin Sheen. <laughs> I I like what he brings to the table, like yeah. his performance, and I also I actually like his character. I think he's actually unique, particularly in the Mass Effect world. That he's like this—he's this weird guy who's like he's got this whole '70s like vibe to him. Like even his clothes—they're like these futuristic clothes, but they actually look like he's wearing some like '70s like suit. And he, the way he <laughs> smokes and drinks—he's like out of Mad Men, you know, almost or well, something. Well, he's also
0: his, his his entire like you know. Evil Bond villain base is even out of the seventies. <laughs> yeah, you know, I
2: mean. he. But yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know. I like his character. I like the way he sort of. I like. I just like him thrown into the mix. I guess I like the like the ingredient he
0: adds. Sure, I mean, I, I'm not going to complain about the art direction and the vocal. I think Martin Sheen. Without Martin Sheen, the Elusive Man would have been a laughing stock from the very beginning. Like, I don't think he would have been pulled off with nearly as much impact. But like, here's the thing. Like, here's the Elusive Man. Like. To the core, you're you're indoctrinated. No, I'm not. You're indoctrinated. Okay, maybe I am. <laughs> Blam! Like great, fantastic. That's that's his entire character. Arc.
2: No, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't that simple at the end. I feel like just that scene itself is like it's one of the. I feel like it's a pretty good part of the ending when they're having that whole like. Scene like it feels like almost like I don't know out of like a David Mamet movie where they're all just yelling at each other and you know. it's just
0: awkward, man. Like Anderson's like kind of like having a seizure, like having an old man <laughs> episode, <laughs> episode moment while the elusive man's monologuing. It's just ridiculous looking. No, I'm, I, old, I'm old Shepard. I, I'm old. Too old for this oil, shit. Oil can. Oil can. <laughs> wasn't a big. Wasn't a big fan I don't know. of this. I actually, I actually like that scene.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty emotional, you know. I mean, yeah. Not for me. I was, I was, I was, I was
0: kind of chuckling through those sections. Ah. V- visually, it looked great. That whole like yeah. slow walk towards the little fucking goddamn control panel in the middle of the citadel that controls everything. What do you know? It was great visually. It looked like very uh, cathedral-like.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think also the. I mean, the idea of like that whole scene and like you said, the build up to it, and just I was pretty much. Uh, I was, like, glued to the screen from the point Harbinger, like, you know, blasts you. Yeah. So, like, because I was not, I was expecting, like, in a sense I was expecting a lot more. Like, I thought you were going to get to the Citadel. I thought there was going to be a whole involved, like, Citadel mission, basically, sort of, like, in the first yeah. game. Because yeah, to that point they were trying to parallel it pretty closely. And I figured, oh, you know, it's like Return of the Jedi. You know, we're going back to the Death Star again, you know. Sort of, <laughs> you know, it's like, here we go. On, we're going back to the Citadel. It's going to be sort of the same thing, only bigger. And they actually took it in kind of a different, in I'd say more of an empire direction there, where instead you get bl- <laughs> you get blasted. You know, Shepard is. It became clear to me, like, oh wow, this is the end game right now. Like, it looks yeah. like I mean, I'm, I'm dead anyway. Like, so. That, I, do,
0: I do I do like how they increase the stakes by that because by the time Shepard's wounded and kind of like struggling to go up the elevator thing, it's just, yeah, you get that sense that shit's gonna end. You know, <laughs> he's yeah, going and- down.
2: And I felt like it was a nice way to symbolize sort of Shepard's like struggle. Like to that point, I mean, obviously it wasn't it wasn't everything that put him, you know, to that point that put him in that state. But I feel like symbolically it kind of was. Like you know, they were talking about how this was all weighing on him. Like one of the main themes in the game is how this is all weighing on Shepard and how it's all on him. And I feel like that was a nice way to represent just how you know this whole thing is beating the shit out of him. And it was fitting that it was Harbinger. You know, yeah. and that's why I was sort of satisfied with Harbinger's role. I mean, I got enough Harbinger in Mass Effect 2, enough of him talking. I kind of thought it was funny that he didn't talk at all in the game. He just <laughs> he just lands, and he just blows you away, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so everything about that I kind of liked. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I was I was satisfied with the ending. The only thing I didn't like was the epilogue, which I thought, like, you know, was really cheesy, right down to the voice acting, which I was like, why does why this old man sound so unprofessionally like i thought he sounded bad it sounded just like a regular person and then i found out it was buzz aldrin and it was like that sort of validated the whole thing actually like the whole scene even though it also was like oh so that's why it was bad you know it was he wasn't That a is pro. cool though that is cool yeah it was just, it just made the whole thing him. a lot cooler though
0: yeah yeah I don't, I, that that part didn't bother me um i mean I'm yeah, usually i mean, as very sen- so. i'm usually very sensitive to bad voice acting but it it sincerely um, i thought it was a cool scene it didn't bother me i mean yeah it's a little cliche but I like that far away look, you know, how history saw Shepard's Sacrifice. I thought that was – Yeah, I, it was
2: I, I don't know. I felt like it was like too, it was like too soon, like the navel gazing. Like it was just like, yeah. oh, man, the legend of Shepard. is like, well, I just fucking played it. I mean, you know, let it sort of yeah. – let it form yeah. in my mind a little, you know, that way. It could have been like, worse.
0: It could, they could have had like a flag of like you – the know, U.S. flag like – Fading in the background. Like the sound line ending. (laughs) (laughs) I almost would have preferred
2: something like that, like you know, like a shepherd like memorial or something, you know, because it's like at least that's sort of like within their world. This felt like it was like talking directly to the audience, like, you know, sort of about the shepherd, you know, and how like you're supposed to think of him, you know, and everything, and it was like, Well, this is weird.
0: I think I think I think the effect of that ending is supposed to be. Oh, Shepherd! Oh, and he like of them. Oh, oh, oh! Oh I, I, yeah, I, think, I get I think it. That was what you were supposed to be feeling at that moment.
2: Yeah, you know. Well, he's, yeah, basically, he's Jesus. You know, it's like what they sort of try to tell you
0: there. <laughs> space the it's like, Jesus. Yeah, he's yeah. Jesus
2: Christ. If you didn't figure it out, he's Space Jesus. He saved everybody. Yeah. You know, we all love him.
0: <laughs> and he uh, dies for our sins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the sins of synthetics.
2: Well, not in my ending. But uh but uh I don't know. He died and he came back. Yeah. He was dead and then he came Yeah, he really he literally did. No, No, but the other the other point of that ending that offended me and left sort of a sour note more than like the tropical, you know, paradise ending was it immediately brings up like the screen as if it's the same screen as when you discover like uh you know, someone's notes, you know, like one of those little PDAs. And it's like Oh, Commander Shepard is a legend because he saved the universe. Continue his adventures, you know, in the DLCs. is, like basically yeah. the message that it takes you back to that save, and it's like, wow, that, that is literally st- the. That's the final note of the game. Like by the by the upcoming DLCs.
0: That was a real. That was a real stinger. I agree, but it's it, it felt like something that was kind of out of their control. Like it felt like something that was strapped on at the very end. but like yeah, you consider it, like part of the credits or something. You know, right? Was I can it see. I can see some EA quality assurance guys saying, "Hmm, we should do this," you know, in the last minute and strapping that on. But who knows? But yeah, um, there will. I'm sure there'll be more DLC. I, I'm not that interested in playing it anymore. Like for me, I'm done with the Mass Effect trilogy. It was. I fun. was.
2: I was kind of shocked with your uh, how adamant you were. Like you know, like I made a, a joke yeah. to you. Like you know, I saw. It, yeah, it, like, I mean, like, yeah, it's I not. Would...
0: It's not like I didn't. It didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth. I tried to make that clear. I just literally like closure wise i'm fine with it i'm done i don't i don't feel like going back and playing the misadventures of shepherd and more dlc like i don't really care i mean like the story is done for me so it's fine i mean yeah it, once the next i'm sure i'm absolutely sure there will be more mass effect games when they take place or what they'll be about i don't know i'm interested in that but as far as the Shepard stuff i mean i'm done it was good it was fun
2: the the thing I would want from DLC, and I guess the thing that disappointed me most in the ending, which was which I haven't really heard like directly, like specifically said, is I was expecting, and I don't know why, because the other games didn't have this either, more of a Fallout style, like telling you what happened to everybody and what the consequences were. Like as they talk about the Krogan a lot in the game, like or at least that's what stuck out to me, like the Genophage cure and what it means, like for the whole galaxy, and you know. After the fact, if they beat the mm-hmm. Reapers, if the Krogan are at full force, the kind of threat they might be. And I thought at the end there would be like a little something like, you know, at the end it's basically with Fallout. They tell you, you know, look at this group and this is what happened. And I thought there would be something telling me, hey, because, you know, Rex was dead and you screwed up and, you know, you cured the Genophage with in charge, he, he fucked up the galaxy, you know, good job. Yeah. Sort <laughs> of a thing. Like, I was expecting stuff like that, you know, oh, either okay. or, depending on your actions. And they never had that. And it felt, it, I don't know, I don't know why I expected it. I guess because, I mean, I, it felt kind of intuitive just because they were sort of playing that up during the game. Like, the consequences mm-hmm. of your choices. And then you really don't, like, find
0: out what they are. The answer to it's, that... It's I hinted at. I think they didn't want to tie a bow on a lot of those plot lines because they might have plans for the future. They didn't want to necessarily cancel out any possibilities they may plan on for future CU series. Like, for example... I can see that Krogan thing coming back up. I, I I I actually could envision a Mass Effect game taking place like 500 years in the future, with some parallels for some, from some carryovers with characters and events from the previous games. I can I can I can totally see that happening. Like yeah, maybe even maybe even Liara is still around, you know, for example, or maybe Grunt's still alive or something like That's that. That's
2: a good call on Liara. Like if anyone was going to become like a main character in another Mass Effect game, they'd probably put it on her. Yep. Well, yeah, well, she, she'll be in it, well, well, like, like, for,
0: be. like like Spock in the Star Trek movies, for example. That kind of, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> Sorry, uh, Azil, for comparing Liara to Spock.
1: Nah, it's fine. No, yeah, it's <laughs> fine. You know, I, I'll say it again, but when I replayed Mass Effect Two uh, before I started Three, I, I really had a good time, actually, just doing DLC and you know, you know, I mean, side missions and shit like that. Well, I yeah. Done.
2: And yeah, I feel like the I feel like the third one's a lot more fun. It like yeah, like you said, it fixed the problems that Mass yeah, Effect yeah. had. The, the third one is really, I mean, as as far as the TPS uh, goes, it's
1: it's really a better. Games the gameplay is a lot more tight. Uh, I think the skills also are, uh, you know, there, there's more customization and it's nicer. And in general, it's it's you know, it fixes a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff yeah. that were wrong with Mass Effect Two are fixed in three. So yeah, I mean. I f- I feel there was a real progression in terms of quality between the the three of them, even though Mass Effect One had a lot of good things that unfortunately uh, weren't, I mean, followed up on uh, in the you know s- subsequent games. But
0: yeah,
1: once w- one thing people should realize is, uh, unfortunately, I think BioWare is bound by you know limitations, financial and you know budgetary and all that <coughs> stuff, and technical limitations as well. And I think that's also why they couldn't do. I mean, it's a perfect game we would have wanted with uh Marco missions on every planet and and so on because yeah, and made yeah. the
2: Mako missions as good as the fighting was made, and you know but it's like I was thinking about that too because I was thinking like it's too bad they just didn't you know fix everything else like you know do more Mako missions, but you know just make them better, but yeah. it's like you know they probably put all that effort into the fighting, which they figured was like their the most important thing, yeah, and that's Definitely. why they centered on it, so, so yeah so
1: they said it at the time, you know, the developers said they were focusing on the gameplay. And, uh, yeah, they, they put a lot of effort into it. And people actually complained about that. Oh, yeah, you're not putting any effort in the RPG aspect and so on. But, yeah, you know, at some point you have to make choices. And uh, they were in it for the money. I mean, they're companies are <laughs> supposed to be making money. And another thing is it took them a long time to develop Mass Effect. A really long time. But Mass Effect 2 and 3 were done relatively quickly.
0: Oh, yeah. Each of two them was years. done.
1: Yeah, two years each, and that's that's pretty quick. That's
0: really quick. For the, the scope of those games, it's crazy quick. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And, and they had to, you know, the first game was made for the Xbox, then it was ported to PC. Then the second game was, you know, also made for PC, Xbox, and PS3 simultaneously. Yeah, so,
2: that's a lot more development. Yeah,
1: because the first game was also made with uh, Microsoft's uh, developer studio. So, by the way, I had help from Microsoft on it. So you know, in all of ways, it's it's not as easy as people make it sound. And uh, yeah, I, again, like you were saying earlier, as far as choices go, the, the biggest choices in Mass Effect One are who lives and who dies. Yeah, and you know, Kaidan or Ashley and Brex. That's that's the biggest choices. That's the uh, almost the only choices that matter. Yeah, and
0: the,
1: the I would say the same goes for Mass Effect Two. In the end. What you see, is the biggest result of your actions is whether all your team dies or who dies in your team, and and so on. And uh, it's still the same Mass Effect 3. When you uh, you know you can have some kind of you know, what we talked about, Griffiths, uh, you know you know Mordin's death scene and so on. You you can kill them in r- really dirty ways. I think it was maybe with Nomad that I talked about it, but you can have some really heart wrenching scenes where you just kill the characters, you know, in cold War Yeah, run. and yeah, yeah so- you can do that with Legion too. Yeah, that's still what makes uh, the most difference. So, yeah, in each game, it's it's like that. You know, saving the Ragnarok Queen or stuff like that, or saving the council, or choosing Anderson or Udina for the council. Yeah, it didn't make... I mean, it didn't make any difference. And I was disappointed with that years ago when I noticed that I chose Anderson, but eventually he resignated. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so basically, I can go fuck myself. It's still going to be like that. I accept I accepted it because I know it's a video game. I know they, they have a limitation, so yeah. But people who realize, oh what? So you mean the choices are, you know, the guy, you know, I mean, uh, not shooting uh, Conrad Werner in the foot in Mass Effect One didn't change, <laughs> didn't affect the ending of Mass Effect Three. Oh fuck me! Oh what? Yeah, I've like, <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah, yeah. Was it? I, going never,
0: to- I never, I never encountered Conrad Werner in Mass Effect Three. I I was to. He's uh, he's oh. in it,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Ugh. Damn it. It, it's it's really cheesy it's short, but it's pretty fun actually i mean it's, it's as ridiculous as his character ever was
0: that's too bad. I was looking forward to that. I always thought uh, it was funny
1: I can tell you what happened to me uh i was uh, basically just you know in the um, fucking the refugee camp in the docking yeah. base and uh some g- some guy has been poisoning Medigel or some shit like that. I think it's uh, it's a thread like that. And yeah, Conrad Werner, a subquest. Yeah, they yeah. refer to some crazy guy who keeps saying it's a Cerberus plot or something. Mm. So you don't hear about him, you come back and then you know Conrad Werner comes and says, It's that guy! He's the Cerberus, you know, mole or whatever. Mm. So the guy pulls out a gun, he aims at you, ah oh, it's you, Shepard, and Conrad Werner jumps in front of the shot. Mm. And uh, he's like, he's shot in the gut and he took the bullet for you. There's some kind of slow motion. <laughs> and he falls, he said, oh, Shepard, did, did I help? And he, you can answer, yes. Yes, Conrad, mm. you did. And he said, oh, I don't even feel anything. And then a girl's <sighs> come in, which is a girl, uh, the stripper who, you know, you, you know, helped you in Mass Effect 1. She was at the, at the bar, you know. Yeah. The Flux or something, not the Flux, the other one. And you know, Cora's Den, yeah, she was at Cora's Den, and you yeah. con- you had convinced her to work with the cops or some shit like that, so she's walking undercover, and she rigged the you know bad guy's gun, and so he didn't even fire, so mm. Werner's all right, and he gets up and he says, "Oh nice, oh, and they go off together like they're going to get married, and that's it
0: Wow. <laughs> Just really actually, good. I did look up one of the endings and the, 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 the endings. one of the conrad Werner things. The one I found was different from that that one actually sounds really interesting. Well, he's- Far more interesting than the one I found. And, and the other one, what happens is, it must have been something you said in Mass Effect 2 that changes this, but in in this in this outcome, in Mass Effect 3, Conrad Werner had just joined Cerberus because he wanted to be more like yeah. oh. well, yeah, Commander and
2: Shepard. Oh, yeah. That's and how we Cerberus. knew the guy was, uh, in that one, I think you get the same ending where he says, or you can, where he says, that's my Cerberus contact. Yeah. And yeah. He points at the guy, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and I think you can I think it's not the same. I think you can I think you can actually get shot depending on if you actually recruited her or not. Oh. Oh
1: yeah. So nice. yeah,
2: so like oh, you're di- well, that's the thing that's crazy to me too is that your choices did matter, but it's just like, I don't know, in people stupid that were <laughs> <ways>. <laughs> Yeah, in just really dumb, yeah. inconsequential ways, you know. It's like it actually blows my mind sometimes like, wow, I did this in this game, in the first game and it's like biting me on the ass now or it's paying off <laughs> and it's like Jesus, what a pain! Though, like, you know, I, I'm gonna have to go replay the first game to get something I want in this one. I think yeah. the effect.
0: I think the effect Bioware was trying to achieve with all these multiple things is just to give the player some. Perception that they have choice that that their choices matter, whether or not the consequences are huge or not. They get a sense that I made that choice and X or B yeah. happened. You know, mm-hmm. that's the only thing.
1: Very simply, much like you customize your your character, you know, like it, it's your shepherd, but it's it's always coming the shepherd. And whatever you do, he's always going to be shepherd in general. And you right. know, you you can just customize it. And I think what they did is, you know, what people don't realize is they are not getting a fundamentally different experience. It's not. Nobody's getting a completely different game with you know different ending, different choices, but it's a customized game. So you yeah. get your experience, which may differ from you know another person's experience, but it's never going to be completely different. But it's yours. It's customized, like you know, right. like a car. Yeah, it's your your paint. You got you know other other tires and shit like that. Yeah, or you could some tacky shit on top of it. Yeah, that, that's basically it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> tacky shit is uh, a lot of people cars, do have the tacky yeah. shit <laughs> like <laughs> on there. No, I'm talking about, like, the custom faces that some people have. Oh, it's like, God. that is that is the tacky oh, shit that people add. Where it's like, this represents me, man. It's like, yeah, it sure does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, My shepherd has a
0: flavor saver. <laughs> yeah.
2: You, you know, um, when I started Mass Effect 1,
1: I spent, like, maybe one hour trying to make a custom face.
0: Like, oh, I spent a re-
1: a really long time making a custom face and I was like fuck they all look like fucking mutants <laughs> fuck yeah, this I shit do. so I was like okay well fuck this shit I'll play with the default face it's the yeah. best one anyway and uh yeah yeah it really is the best one anyway my, oh, yeah,
0: was... ver- my very first playthrough was, was with a custom shepherd yeah and I really then, uh whenever I imported it to Mass Effect 2 I had the option of going to default and I instantly said no I'm going to fucking do default because my guy looks like a space freak basically <laughs> So, yeah, I was happy to have that option to return it back to normal.
2: What's weird to me is that they, I don't believe they do, because, I i mean, I didn't try that hard, but I, they don't let you just, like, take the default and then, like, customize it, like, change it, like, from right. there. It's right. sort of like it's on a different, like, whole different, yeah. like, part of the game, really. It's not, like, something you can make from the customized well, actually, like, parts. actually, s-
1: some people, you know, manage to do some really good faces, uh like even uh, celebrity lookalikes, i don't know how they do it but they managed to but uh, yeah i think you have to be some kind of uh, professional uh, graphic artist or something but with, with the default choices they managed to get some really good looking faces
0: but, i would love uh, yeah. to do a tom sellick shepherd that would be great
1: honestly yeah, there was a thread on uh on the bio forums yeah well they each posted their characters and yeah, I mean, they've got some kind of Jessica Alba lookalike and some really crazy shit. You know, so, some of them are really impressive. I was impressed at the time. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I, I know I myself never managed to get anything, you know, correct. Uh, well, I mean, I stopped after Mass
2: Effect 1 anyway, so...
0: Yeah, same here.
2: And, I mean, to me also, like, we were talking about how it's not really that kind of game. Like, I like having, like, a default Shepherd, and, you know it's sort of his story, and I understand like what you were saying, where it's like, you know, you're still playing as Shepard, like, even if you choose Renegade or Paragon Choices, it's just, that is just, like, op- the opposite ends of the spectrum that he is, it's not yeah. going outside of it, it's not, you're not being you or anything, it's, like, still part of him. Yeah, pretty much, and, you know, it's
1: what, I, I remember back, in, back at the time, uh, the developer said, it's a difference between a game like, you know, Baldur's Gate, or even uh, Dragon Age Origin, and Mass Effect, is that it's also why you never get exactly what he says. You get a taste, like you know. Yeah. Ah, oh, you're going to die, and then he says something. Or yeah, sure. It's also why in Mass Effect One when you punch the reporter, you know, from Al Jazeera or whatever, <laughs> uh, yeah, because she, yeah, that's that's what she is to me anyway, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Shepard never there's not an option saying, you know, punch the woman. It just says I'm tired with this shit or I've I've had enough. And you know, he punches that's why it's great, you know? Because you don't know who is going to react. You just yeah, you influence his reaction. But like you said, it's just separate ends on the same spectrum, you know, the spectrum of Shepard basket.
2: What's funny is like sometimes I like especially in Mass Effect one because I didn't know any better, it's like you'll see like you'll look at those options and you'll be like, Well, I think this one sounds better. Like this one mm-hmm. sounds nicer, and it'll actually he'll say something totally awful instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you no, know, so yeah, that's that's a funny thing with that. It can mislead you sometimes. You better like yeah. you have to understand the concept. Like, okay, this is the good answer. This is the bad answer. Like, if you want to play that way. Yeah, <laughs> I've
0: heard I've heard some critiques of Mass Effect Three where where that kind of thing happens. Where, like, partic- particularly I've heard that some people were misled about how to resolve the Geth and Quarian conflict. That they, they ultimately chose the wrong one because they thought I was gonna something else was gonna happen, but I, yeah, I, it never affected me. I I I, I resolved that with no problems. So.
1: Well, you know, I mean, yeah, they complain because they're
0: stupid. So yeah. pretty, pretty much, <laughs> that's that's Is what I'm that? around saying. Yeah,
2: yeah, wow. I guess like you have to do some pretty like specific things. Like I don't know, I didn't really care, and I just like sort of went with the Geth because <laughs> I was like, I bet they're more powerful. I was sort of sick of the Quarians; they were annoying me. So yeah. it was like, yeah, you know, because I, I figured it was the you know, it's their fault anyway. You know, because they're like just so like they got. I guess you have to like get that one you're guy have to burn. <laughs> well, well, no, it's not because it's not like you're choosing to attack them. You're just choosing not to kill off the Geth, which is pretty fair. And it's like they they refuse to break off their attack because you know that's sort of the theme to that point. That it's like they're they're kind of the aggressors. Yeah. That'd so. be- they're being
1: dipshits, you know, pretty much. Yeah,
2: they're the ones being unreasonable and sort of forcing this uh, confrontation. And so, yeah, I, I left it up to them. Like, well, you better break off your attack and general, or I forget if he's, you know, admiral or general, but admiral, <laughs> admiral I'm dumbass, last. you know, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't break off the attack and gets killed. It's like, I don't, I didn't feel too guilty about that. I would have felt a lot worse, like, arbitrarily, like, choosing the quarians and, like, killing, you know, it's like, well, sorry, Legion, <laughs> I'm going to have to kill you now.
0: <laughs> like you've, you've well, what, happened, what happened to Tali in your game then, Griff, after that happened? well, Tali? Yeah. <laughs> she, she was dead. <laughs> yeah. She was already dead? Yeah, she was already
2: dead. So yeah, oh, I didn't, oh. that was the other thing. But I was oh. I was arbitrary about that stuff too. Like I cured the genophage like in Rex's honor. Like, you know, I felt bad that he died. I always felt bad about that. It was like, that's actually like the Mass Effect moment that brought me in. Like Like, oh my God, you know, Rex just got killed. I did not see it coming at all. And I, and it like happened at like three in the morning, so you know, my mind was like very open to you know, it was very <laughs> into the game. And uh you did. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like a you know, it's like a real memory for me now. At this point I have flashbacks. But uh so I, I cured the the genophage for him, even though it would have benefited me more to like fake it and uh, get the Solarians to help me, and you can get away with it with uh Riven charge and you can't with Rex.
0: And, that's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real dark ending. Have you watched all the things oh, that happened? I, I looked at fucking the fucking dark, movie. man.
2: It's, it's pretty awesome, too, with Rex. It's fun, there's a lot of oh, comedy man. in it, though, actually, too. Like, when Shepard's like, I, I seem to remember helping you find your family's armor. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like sort of a, one of those. It's like, it reminded me of like a real life <laughs> pathetic ploy. Someone before, like, hey, yeah. man, remember when I helped you move? I know I slept with yeah. your girlfriend, <laughs> but you know, we're still. We're still buds right yeah. and and rex like totally like oh you know just blow that was a long time ago <laughs> like it was like offensive that he even brought that up like you know just <laughs> right. sort of, like cover it and one thing i thought was cool was the end was like if you i guess if you chose ashley to die rex you know has that line where he's like what's the matter Shepard? don't have williams to do your dirty work for you anymore you know he's like well i guess you <laughs> oh yeah i forgot you killed her too <laughs> you know
0: wow. so
2: yeah like it's really bitter I actually like that they sort of brought that back, that it, like, you know, because in Mass Effect 1, yeah, Rex, you know, he can die. It can end really badly with him. But then after that, you know, it's like, if you let him live, it's sort of like, I like that it wasn't just everything's good forever, that you can get on his bad side again, that he's still, like, he still has that in him, and you have it in you to betray him, that sort of there's, he's a loose cannon, and, you know,
0: he'll yeah.
2: he'll, he'll go off. Like, you can set him off again. I like that they included that.
0: Right. He's, he's hot-headed. I mean, it's croaking yeah.
2: off, so.
1: Well, uh, I like I, how they I, also have
2: that line in there, because, like, in mine, like, if you betray Reeve, he'll never know, because he's just an idiot, and he's just going to brag <laughs> about how you know, he cured the know. genophage, and how he's going <laughs> to make it. You know, and
1: if, uh, I was going to say, if Rex leaves, uh, you know, Reeve gets uh, eaten by the Thresher Maw, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Eve is like, wow, aren't we going to, you know, rescue him? And Rex is like, wow, he's dead already, and... He was a pain in the ass anyway.
2: He just <laughs> he just drives off. He doesn't give a shit. Is <laughs> that so, so really? Know. Oh, in mine, I think someone else got eaten. Someone from like another clan.
0: Yeah, was, well, was it yeah. like was he
2: in the truck when he got eaten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, it was someone from oh, another. Oh, yeah,
0: that happens to mine too. But I didn't know his name. I didn't recognize his name. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. That happens in mine as well.
2: What's funny yeah. is uh, if uh, yeah, in that scene uh, we were talking about where Rexel confront you to try to kill you. Is like he he says oh you know he says I I I know what you did Shepard what do you think I'm an idiot like my brother? <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> says, yeah, if you do it to Reeve, Reeve never figures it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I like those little nods.
0: But it wasn't uh, just that. I mean, to me, it was the, the the darkest one was what happens to Morden. Or like ultimately, Shepard shoots him in the back. I mean, it's ridiculous.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So you can you can convince him if if Reeve is in charge, you can just you can convince him not to do it. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it all depends. So there is a lot of variation in choice in that regard. Like, if Reeve is alive, it's like... Because it, Eve will die if Reeve is alive. She'll die on the way there. And then, you know, Morden and Orr's replacement are really concerned about Reeve and his ambitions. Yeah. And, you, and you can convince them, like, hey, man, this is a bad idea. Like, you know, I know you're trying to do, like, what's for the greater good, <laughs> but, like, the greater good would be not to cure it with Reeve in charge, because he is, you know... He's bad.
1: You tell him there's always time for it later on and so on.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, well, the YouTube clip I looked up was pretty dark.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I, I liked my version. Well, Rex, you know, I, I instantly, the first occasion I had, I told them uh, the Salamanders were up to no good. And Rex told me, I told you we could count on Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: I, I told you he was okay. And I'm like, yeah, man. Oh, you know what? That's actually kind of one of those moments that tricks you, because, like, uh, I was trying to, like, okay, the first time on the, I think it's on the shuttle, you get a chance to say something, I was going to tell Eve, because it was like, I was talking to Eve, yeah, I was talking to Eve alone, and so I was like, I'll tell her, because, you know, she's the understanding one, and you get interrupted, and then later you're on the truck and you can bring it up again, but you're in front of Reeve. And I was like, "Well, I don't want to say it in front of him because he's gonna freak the fuck out, and you know he doesn't trust me or anything." So I didn't say anything, and then you don't get another chance because it like says, "Keep it to yourself for now" or something. So yeah. that implied I was gonna get another shot at it, but yeah, by the time you do, it's like Eve is dead, and you're just there with uh, with Morden or his uh, surrogate, and it's like uh, well, even if I you won't.
0: choose, even if you choose to bring it up, Shepard gets interrupted and he doesn't get to say anything. So
2: no, wait, even the second time?
0: time. No, the first time. I mean.
2: Well, yeah, because the first get... time I tried to, and it yeah. didn't work. And then the second time it was in front of Reeve, and I just didn't want to tell him because I figured, you know, it would it would hurt the piece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and so then I just didn't say anything, and then I didn't get another chance. But, yeah, you know, that's just uh, that's yeah. my fault. I mean, I knew what the right thing to do was. You know, to, you know, I should just tell everybody. Yeah. You know, one thing
1: Mass Effect 2 did for the gameplay is as a Vanguard, they had the charge. To make the Vanguard class unique, and um, yeah, that was that was really pretty cool. I wasn't a big fan of Charge at first when it came up in Mass Effect 2, but actually, it's fucking brilliant. Well, they made
0: it—they made it more useful in Mass Effect 3 by yeah. lowering the delay and the time you can use it again. You could like yeah. open up the number of powers you can use immediately afterwards, so it became suddenly super useful. Yeah, particularly well, yeah. in multiplayer. Man. Yeah, I was it's gonna like, say it's...
2: multiplayer. Everyone's a fucking vanguard that just teleports in and kills. It's oh, the best class. Yeah. Oh, yeah, steal people's kills. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's always been the best class. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. single mean,
0: player Nova's pretty good as well. Right. I think you and I, in particular zeal, would choose vanguard anyway because of you know love for Doom. I mean, it's the class yeah. that you know puts the shotgun right in your hands from the beginning. Like, yep, that's the one I'm gonna choose. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm always
2: the soldier. It
0: starts with the default. It sounds so boring. Like a soldier like this.
2: That's my that was my first shepherd. That's the same one I've played. Like if I was gonna do it ideally, I'd probably pick like a perfect class to choose and then make all the decisions I want. I'll do that someday. I mean, I'm playing the game in a very like in a very compromised way anyway. Like I'm playing it on I played all three of them on my laptop. Mm-hmm. Like at the lowest settings and things. Like someday I'm gonna replay probably the whole trilogy, like straight shot through. Like, you know, at the highest settings and do everything I want perfectly and max out. You know, my characters. This was like my. Uh, this was just like my sort of like come try run Shepard. Yeah. Well, but you know now I'm really fond of him and can't get rid of him. <laughs> so,
0: BioWare released a poll a year or two, but actually it was during Mass Effect Two when it first got launched. About the class most people picked, and it was soldier about like a, a long, long, long mile. Like, everyone picked soldier, and I've heard the argument is basically, well, Shepard's a soldier, so I'm gonna pick a soldier. Like, come on, there's so many more possibilities. No,
1: the truth is, people are just boring. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Wh- when I started an RPG, well, I always like to play classes that are a bit of both, you know, so hybrids. So the Vanguard was a, he's a, basically a soldier or a biotic hybrid, and that's why I picked mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And, uh, but I sp- I spent like, you know, 30 good minutes, maybe, maybe not that much, but at the beginning of Mass Effect 1, choosing which character i take, like I do for every RPG, and I know a lot of people just say, oh, well, whatever, I'll just take the you know, default guy. And that's right. what Pro- Proj did. And uh, when we played multiplayer together, uh, you know, he was playing as a soldier, I was playing as a vanguard, and he was like, oh, whoa, whoa. And I told him, yeah, man, vanguard's the best. So he made a vanguard, and he played like that. And when he went back to his uh, single-player mode, he said, Oh, man, I miss being a vanguard. (laughs)
2: Yeah. No, it's true. Like, I I read a review where, like, someone... uh, So a reviewer was saying how his friend uh, said... His friend who was a professional game reviewer was like, yeah, I I think the combat's kind of boring. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what game are you playing? Like, what do you play? And he's like, oh, I play as a soldier, and I just sniper everybody. And the guy and he's oh. like so he fired up his game and showed him his like vanguard and like showed him like how yeah, so now I'm gonna like launch him into the air, I'm gonna and then I'm gonna freeze this guy and then I'm gonna blow him up. And like the yeah. guy was like, I'm an idiot and he's like, Yep, you sure are.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you could do it in Mass Effect 2, but there's all these biotic combos, like what you can do is You could Oh th- really? Like you can yeah. basically cause them to biotically explode by yeah. combining yeah, two yeah. different things, like yeah, stasis and warp, I think it is, or yeah, no, right. pull and warp.
1: You yeah. know, in, uh, in Mass Effect One, you already had this meaning. You could, uh, you know, put a guy up with lift or singularity, and then you uh-huh. could use a throw, and you would, you know, push the guy away. You know, but it wasn't. Oh, sure, sure. But it yeah. wasn't integrated. And in Mass Effect Two, they, you know, p- created the, you know, the combos. So, well, you basically, you know, yeah, put a guy up, then you warp him, and he's going to do double damage and such.
0: Well, yeah. but what I don't remember in Mass Effect Two is that literally, if you if you yeah. use pull on someone and you use yeah, warp, is- they literally explode. Like there's this a huge explosion that happens.
1: Yeah, uh, it was maybe not as uh, flamboyant, but uh, yeah. you know, the com- the combos existed already.
0: Yeah, but mean, um, I has- the different ammo types seem like they have a lot more relevance in three as well. Maybe it's just visual, but using like ice, all- ice bullet on oh, yeah. someone and then using warp or something, they literally, like, shatter. It's crazy. Even if you just
2: shoot them while they're frozen, yeah. Oh, yeah, they'll just yeah. shatter. shatter yeah. Yeah, he's pretty so, incredible. yeah, the soldiers are actually, like, a lot better in those games. Like, in Mass Effect 1, the soldier basically is... Actually, I've heard, like, some people say, and I've experienced this, too, with my guy, like, that the soldier, like, some people swear by it as, like, the most powerful class, and that you can basically become invulnerable. Like, if you become, like, a, you know, a commando and pick all, the, like, the health things. Like, you can... You're always healing, like, faster than any damage you can receive. <laughs> so, <laughs> they say it's, like, if you want to become, like, a pure, like, killing machine, it's, like, a great class. It's just not, you know, it doesn't have all the fun stuff.
0: Yeah. I like having options in combat, so, I mean, I don't want to just face someone, like, from behind cover, or, you know, face first a yeah. shotgun. I'd rather just have... If they're hiding behind something, I want to be able to throw something at them, like, biotics, so...
2: I, uh... I've experimented with the action mode. With the, oh, really, it has like yeah, because I was like, because I just wanted to have like sort of a run where like yeah, I just got into the gameplay and didn't worry about the uh, the decisions and things. Like I mean, even though that's part of the gameplay, but just the pure like combat mechanics. And so I was playing in action mode. Like, I'm, like i like it's like a, it is like a different game. It's like it feels more metal gear like the conversations because you're just watching these cutscenes and actually they look they don't look as good because it's like you don't have the interactivity so it's like you're watching like just a you know a, a cutscene that isn't very well put together because they're obviously like in dialogue stances rather than being oh. more dramatic you know sort of like shots so yeah. it's it's kind of awkward that way, but it was also interesting. I thought it was interesting not to have to like make all these decisions and like sort of see like what what did they have as like the default like sort of shepherd options. Yeah,
1: was... uh, I I wonder what the defaulties <laughs> actually. It must yeah. be interesting.
2: And it, it's yeah, a I'm... mix. Like it, they were, they had a mix. It was like Paragon and Renegade choices, like that he'd mm. make.
0: I am curious to see if Bioware will publish. You know the you know similar to how they did with two with the classes people pick, the ways they pick to play. I wonder how many people actually use those alternate modes, like you know RPG mode or you know action mode. Like, I hope it's like thirty people chose action mode, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, because like you know? I found that pretty gross. Like, why, yeah. why would you even bother playing Mass Effect? Like, stick to your. Stick to your goddamn gears of war game. Leave Mass Effect the way it is. I oh, I
2: found it. a thread that would just disgust. It was guys like, "Oh my god, I hate. I'm playing action mode again, and I hate having to go through all the stupid cutscenes. Why can't I skip all these conversations?" Well, then don't play it. Don't and
0: play it's it. Funny. It's not the game for you.
2: Yeah, the funny thing is, is I think you could probably skip the conversations faster with RPG mode because you could just like cancel out. Like you say, just yeah. say basically stop talking instead of the whatever you know default choices they would do, where they yeah. would have to talk a little. So, yeah, I just thought it was funny, like... And also, I don't know, that part of it makes me sort of, like... It sort of undermines, like, what we were talking about earlier, how it's, like, well, they had to put their resources into this, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the combat's sort of the core gameplay, you know? And so they have to put their resources into that at the expense of other things. But it's, like, you know, they didn't have to waste their time with worrying about action modes and, like, programming, like, default... You know, the default choices for that and everything. I don't know. It's, like, I hate it when they're, like, trying to appeal to, like... Sort of like... It's like they're trying to trick everybody. Like, like we're going to trick these action guys into playing this RPG, and but it's going to make the RPG suffer a little bit for, you know, people that want that, so
0: it's just a weird it's like, compromise. It's, it's homogenizing the genre, trying to bring yeah. all these different things under one roof, like whether it works together or not.
2: In that review I mentioned earlier, they actually... Uh, they said, like, they talked about Mass Effect Two and said that one of the dirty secrets, and you guys uh, could confirm or deny this, of the Mass Effect series, is that for like, as big a main title as it is, like, with the all the pop culture like status it has, it's like it doesn't sell like particularly well, like compared to like some of these other games. Like, it, like I heard, that Mass Effect Two only sold like, you know, like two and a half or three million copies on Xbox 360, and obviously it sold I don't, on the systems. That.
0: I'm sure it sold way more than
1: that. I I think it was more like uh, four and a half uh, million. But uh, yeah, it doesn't... I mean, Mass Effect definitely is not as big as a title like uh, Call of Duty, for example. Oh, yeah. But uh, as far as Girls of War goes, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, but I don't think they are very far from each other. I mean, I can check. Let, Let me check. I'll just check it. Yeah, there is
0: there is a site that has these numbers. I just don't remember offhand. Cause game rankings.
1: Yeah, it's uh no. It's the VG Charts, which has it all. That's okay, true. so, so uh, Gears of War two sold uh, six point five millions, and I'm checking Mass Effect now. So Mass Effect two for Xbox sold two yeah, uh, two point seventy three. So yeah. Really, is that all? I'm so yeah. surprised by that.
2: Well yeah, no, yeah, that's the I, that's the point the guy was making. He was saying you wouldn't know it, but like the series is actually not like for all like it's like you know, it gets more like game of the year awards like than it does, yeah. you know, like sales almost. <laughs> like for a series. It's so that, weird to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not surprised, you know, because yeah. for for its status, it remains a uh, it's an RPG, you know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, a little
2: niche. It's, it's a third ser-
1: it's a 3rd person shooter, but it's an RPG. It doesn't have that whole uh, you know dude, dude bro attitude, like you know, well, <laughs>
2: yeah, man, uh, yeah, come on, you know. That's why they brought J- you know James Vega, and we got the new Lieutenant Man. Yeah, but it's going to bring those bros in.
1: <laughs> the truth, man, is that even Vega is honestly a far more interesting character and far yeah. more. say yeah, he's, he's. I didn't know
2: he was Freddie Prince Jr. at first until yeah, I saw he, that uh, that video. I was he's, like, he's "Oh a, wow, that's him."
1: He's actually pretty deep. I mean, I, I had a really uh, bad, what'd uh, say, bad impression of him when he first, you know, appeared. But actually, it got better very quickly. He, he's actually, I wouldn't say really deep, but yeah, he's kind of. He's got a past, you know. He's got scars and wounds.
2: You know what's well, funny? Talking about uh, that pandering to uh, like the dude bro audience and trying to get those yeah. like Call of Duty players in. There's a scene in uh, On Eden Prime when you do the the From Ashes mission, yeah. where you go into like a room and like all these like soldiers are dead and like there's a TV in there and so all... and Shepard makes this comment like. They were just having a drink and watching the game. You know, like they got killed yeah. having a drink and watching the game. And I was like, Yeah, you know, this is gonna get them on your side. <laughs> like, all the, you know, <laughs> like it's like totally like yeah, all those Madden fans are gonna be like, Oh man, <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> you know, I thought that was so I hate funny.
0: it when I'm watching a game and I get gunned down by Yeah, fearless.
2: oh my god, that's that would be that would totally suck, bro. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. That's the worst. I can't believe it. Meanwhile, like, you know, well, uh, can't I skip this stupid scene with, you know, I don't know, like Morden's death? Oh I I hate this nerd
0: <laughs> well the, already. the most people pointed out i think accurately that the the whole london sequence plays like a call of duty mission it actually yeah. you know uh it, there's no getting around that i mean it's on earth it was, it's in it like was a, bizarre
2: like yeah. to me it was like the are why, why am i looking at the like the stupid london red phone booths in mass effect like this this yeah. doesn't belong i wish this was just random future city like in i, I guess the first city is vancouver right as uh, yeah. But it doesn't look like Vancouver, you know? It doesn't look like, uh, you know, they don't go out of their way to make it, yeah, distinctive. Like, it's like it should, you know, even if, like, it was supposed to be London, and I don't know why London. Like I said, it felt like a gimmick, like, you know, sort of like, if it had been like, oh, it's in New York, you know? It's like that sort of thing. let's
0: it should be New York as well. Yeah, I mean, much. Much.
2: Like, I don't know, it just felt, and they played it up too much. Like, Anderson and his, like, you know, I was born in London. Like, I he was, mentioned that, like, five times. <laughs> did you know I was born in London it's like yeah because you told me on the ship already and I probably should already know that since we're like best friends
0: yeah I know where you were born Anderson <laughs> It's like shut up well, I love how his the, I love how the bill of his cap is even futuristic <laughs> it's a little like indentation thing and then and, she, and you know Joker's hat ultimately gets synthesized and even it has like you know like a, like a machine look to it you know after he becomes absorbed by the stuff yeah well, yeah I,
2: he didn't get synthesized in my game. Yeah, I was. I was thinking the same thing. Actually, it's like no, you know, the Reapers didn't win in mine. You know, like when they where they turned us all into machines. Like, I didn't fall for that one.
0: A, a new DNA. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah new, new DNA based on you know, yeah, silicon. Yeah,
2: great. Yeah, I'd like to see that walk. Yeah, explain to explain it to me. It also it sounds like a nice idea and all, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to kill all of you. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the, the way I, I think what really pissed me off is the
1: way the kid said, "I know you wanted to kill us."
2: You <laughs> yeah, you I know you
1: part? I know
2: you've thought about destroying yeah. us. Yeah, know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> no, shit. You also, yeah. you, you also seem to know about, like, this kid that I saw once and I've had bad dreams about. You know, you're kind of in my head a little too much. <laughs> I probably should be questioning this.
0: <laughs> I've heard some people, uh, I read some idiots complaining about, wow, how was it the kid the whole time? Like, come on, people, are you <laughs> yeah. seriously not getting this? <laughs> Jesus
2: yeah. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Got it a, a little, got it backwards a little bit, but <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: it was the it was the little kid the whole time. <laughs> <was a>
0: <laughs> exactly, that's where some people went with that. Yeah, but the little awesome. kid did it. Mm-hmm.
1: I think your mic is fucking up, uh, Walter. No, it's because no, I'm, I'm chewing.
2: chewing. Uh, okay, if you say so. No, it's a really weird like electronic distortion noise. Yeah, well, cause I,
1: it's mm. cause I'm it's because I'm chewing <laughs>
2: electrodes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine then. But uh. I thought that was actually, like, you know, I was sort of, like, I mean, I think it's, like, I'm not the only one to think of it. Like, other possibilities, like, if it had been, like, Caden or Ashley had been the form that you talked to. Yeah. You know, someone you trust, like, whoever you chose to die would basically be the person that comes to you. Yeah, I I would not have
0: trusted her.
2: It would have been been perfect if it was Caden. It would have been perfect if it was Caden like questioning everything he wanted to do. Like, they're like, oh, oh, are you sure no. you want to do that choice? Oh, <laughs> it's like, no. shut up! Oh, I'm gonna destroy you so much, I'm gonna kill you again. <laughs>
0: this is, I'm glad I it's I would have put, put his head after the destruction too. Like, too like, I would have shot.
2: shot. dude is getting rid really of Holy shit. <laughs> that was amazing. You sound like a reaper. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe I am. <laughs> oh, you synthesized. <laughs> 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 oh my God! <laughs> I hope you're recording this. Uh, uh, yeah, I am. Okay, good. I hope it. Co- I hope it uh, is on the playback because yeah, that's dude, dude, just
1: just speak Hobinger uh, lines, you know. And, uh, no, he
2: sounds like the Reaper Destroyer.
0: Assuming control.
1: Wow, wow. dude, I'm shaking my pants here.
0: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>
2: Holy shit! That sounds- this should be like- this should actually- they could use this in a game. Like, this is like good enough quality for Mass Effect. The scary voice you have right now. Give us <laughs> some of- Beware I leave. <laughs> Alright, well I think this signals the end of the conversation too, because we can't go on like this.
0: No, yeah. no. Oh well, oh well. I the will- I will die. Do I still still like the the robot? The robot. Dude, Just what? type
2: it in the window.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Yes. Goodbye, being uh, a your being of space. We <laughs> have to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What else have you guys been playing? I've been playing Kid Icarus, and I've been loving it. I think you guys should get that, for sure. No kidding. No, I bought it already. I'm just it's, waiting for it to arrive. Great. And I finally, uh, I can finally play it without the stand, because that was a big issue at first. What is the was,
2: stand? I'll,
0: I'll tell you. It's very simple. It's a plastic prop that you place your DS on top of.
2: Yeah, I was getting that. I just got that now. When you said I can finally play it without the stand, because in text I couldn't tell what it meant. And then when you just said that, I was like, "It's not like an actual
0: stand, is it?" Yeah, it's literally. Here's what happens: it comes in the box that you buy the game with, and it it, it basically it's like a think. Imagine a a black triangle or a black sorry, a black rectangle, and then the back of it opens like at a forty five degree angle, and then that's it. And you put it down, and then you put your DS on top of that, and it basically takes the weight off of your left hand when you're holding it. Because the idea is you have to use the D-pad a lot or the uh, the analog stick. And if you have to be holding a lot of your weight with the trigger in your left hand and the D-pad, it gets very, like, stressful on your hand. But if you put your weight on your right hand, which you use your stylus for, you can do it without any big deal. It's not a big problem. But, like, you know, Azalea, you've played Metroid Prime Hunters, right? Yeah. Same. It's the same exact control scheme. Exactly. Oh, it, w- so. it
2: won't be a problem for me, isn't it?
0: Exactly. Yeah, see. So it's not a big deal. <laughs>
2: How many fucking accessories for the DS do you need just to play games? Like, you know, the circle yeah, back I, row and then the stand where it's like, it's
0: ridiculous. It is It is becoming a little absurd. But, I mean, this kind of sounds like something the director said would be nice to have for some players, but it wasn't mandatory was the kind of thing. But, like, yeah, yeah. I agree. The, the perception of the 3DS right now is that it has all these accessories that may or may not be useful in the future. You know, it's like they're kind of changing the image of it. To a certain extent, which bothers me. But.
1: Well, yeah. as long as it comes free if with a game, you know, it I
0: don't free, really yeah. care. Yeah, but the game itself is fan fucking tastic. I love it. Damn it, I, that was one I was going to skip, and now you know, now no, I'm being convinced. <laughs> you should definitely get it. I, I'm I'm trying not to sell it too hard before you guys play it, but it, it's I think it's I think it's one of the best 3ds games out there right now. Easily one of the best 3ds. I'm hesitating to say the best, <laughs> so. Mm-mm. It is kind of short, though. Uh, I'm, I'm at stage six. I'm not sure how many there are. I think there's eight. But um, you can fly through each level probably in under 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's kind of like Star Fox in that regard. But uh, there's a lot to do independent of the levels. That was the problem I had with Star Fox 64's remake was you pretty much just had the single-player game, and you, you blew through the levels, and that was it. But here you have, like, you know, there's literally hundreds of different weapons in the game that you can equip and, and customize and merge to make new weapons and buy and sell. And then you can play online with the different characters you unlock and the different weapons you unlocked. It's just, it's crazy. There's so much stuff to do. So, really awesome game. Sounds good. Is, music's great too. So, yeah, I guess that'll do it for this week's show. A um, uh, little bit of Berserk news this is that there is no Berserk news. We don't have any information on the new releases yet. So, <laughs> uh, we're now into April. Um, you know, if anything happens, obviously we're going to post it on the forum, but there's no news of a new episode, so. Uh, I don't think anything else has happened in anime film news either, um, other than Media Blaster said they're not publishing the movies. Somebody else might, though. The company that picks up uh, the movies might pick up the rights to the TV uh, Blu-rays, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think what they said is that they are not publishing the bluer of the uh, old TV series, but that the guys who are publishing the movie might do
0: that. Right. I Which interesting that, to me is that they didn't name who that might be. You know.
1: Also, probably don't know it. Right. Right. I mean, Media Blasters not really doing very good right now, so yeah. I yeah. Yeah.
0: I also tried to source that, and someone pointed out in the thread I couldn't find a source for that information. It was their Facebook page, but I couldn't find it either. So. I don't know. I guess that's it, guys. Um, Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you guys next time.
1: Yeah, sure. See ya.
0: Later.